Well, Happy New Year, 2021. It's amazing, isn't it, that another year has flown by so fast. Um, you know, I can remember as a teenager, when I was probably in my early teens, I was thinking about the year 2000. This is back in 1977, maybe a little before, thinking about the year 2000. And I was calculating how old I would be come the year 2000, thinking, man, would we ever get there? Would we ever see it really turn from the 1900s to the 2000s? And how weird it was going to be to hear, to say 2001. You know, the 1990s, the 1980s, the 70s, it was easy to say 1977, but I didn't know if I could ever say 2001. It was just kind of a strange thought. And, and I was calculating out that I would be around 42 years old at the year 2000. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to be old. <laughs> I'm going to be so old. And here it is 21 years later. And it just seems like I blinked my eye and all of a sudden we're 21 years later into the 2021 now and I'm 63 this year. And I'm getting older. <laughs> and my body tells it. You know, isn't it strange how you wake up after a good night's rest and you feel like you've been fighting all night long? Your body's stiff. You can hardly get out of bed. Do you ever feel that? Or is it just me? Man, it's just crazy. How I should, why should I be so tired when I wake up? I just don't get it. But uh, I guess that's just with age. But, you know, every year brings new opportunities, don't they? No one had any idea a year ago today what 2020 was going to hold. We had no idea. Now, we knew it was going to be an election year, so we knew there was going to be some angst. But we had no idea what was coming with the COVID and all the other things that have come as a result of that. And quite honestly, we have no idea what 2021 is going to bring either. You know, last week, we had a wonderful, just a wonderful worship service. All week, all day long, we just praised the Lord and worshiped for all the whole service. We didn't have any, any preaching. It was just praise and worship. And for wh how many were here last week? Wasn't it amazing? Was it good or not? In fact, if you want to go back, it's on our, our Facebook page. Go back and listen to it and just feel the presence of the Lord, even through the Facebook page. But it was a powerful way to praise out 2020. And today we're going to be talking about 2021. And I want to talk today about having the necessity of having a thirst and a hunger for more of what God is going to do in 2021 than he's done in the rest of your life combined. Because we are at the precipice of something amazing here. Whenever God starts to work, whenever God has a plan and it starts to come to bear, amazing things are going to happen. So I want to direct our attention this morning to the importance of growing up spiritually and to having a hunger and a thirst and a spiritual appetite for the things of God more than what we had last year. No matter what happened in 2020 or 20 or earlier than that, I want you to know that you're not, that we are not as a church and you are not as a person limited by your past. Did you hear what that means? Did you hear what I said? That we're not limited by the things that we've done in the past that were either 
really bad, not so bad, neutral, or even good. <laughs> we don't have to live in the past. We don't have to live in our sin. We don't have to live in our regrets. But today is a new day and a new year. And we don't want to live in our, in our victories and our successes any more than we want to live on our failures because both can be a detriment to our society and to our future. I want to pray the way uh, Paul did in Philippians. Larry, can I have my overhead, please? Philippians chapter 1. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3. This is, this is the Apostle Paul. And I want to use this kind of as our, start, as our jumping off point today. But he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, here's this, listen to this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you just help us to know what this passage is supposed to be telling us today. What do we do with this? How do we react to uh, the Apostle Paul's calling here to forget the past, good or bad, that we don't dwell in the past, but we press on towards the goal of winning the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. I pray, Father, you would open up our eyes, open up our spiritual ears to hear what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you hear what Paul is saying? That the first thing that we have to recognize is that our past doesn't define our potential of who and what God wants us to be tomorrow. Our past is gone. It was, it's here. It's gone. It's not going to be relived. We're not going to be able to go back and make it right. We can go back and certainly learn from it and not repeat past mistakes. But we have to know that God has a potential for us that is not limited by our past and it all begins with a heart and an attitude of repentance if you've made mistakes if listen to that we've all made mistakes i've made mistakes some of them have been intentional some of yours have been intentional how do we get over that how do we move forward over that we repent we come to Jesus and we say, I am sorry for the mistakes that I've made, even the ones that I made intentionally. And when I have true repentance over that, what that means is I will go back and fix what I can. And for the things I can't fix, I'm just going to lay at the altar and say, would you please forgive me, Jesus? If I've wronged people, I'm going to go back and I'm going to apologize to people that I've wronged. If I've taken advantage of them financially, I'm going to pay them back with interest. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do what I can to make my past right, but what I can't make right, I'm not going to let it control me. I'm going to repent over it. I'm going to ask for forgiveness over it, and then I'm going to do the most important thing after repentance, and then I'm going to say, Lord, don't let me repeat the same mistakes. Help me to live a new life. 
Help me to, to get over the sin of my past. Help me not to repeat it. Help me not to think I can change your mind about it. But help, help me to understand that you want me to be a new person. And we need to make that our attitude of life thereafter. You see, if we don't have a true heart of repentance, then what we'll do is we'll try to convince God that, God, what I did wasn't wrong. If I don't see it for what it was as sin, then I'm going to go back to God and I'm going to say, God, I want you to change so that you'll accept what I did was okay. Do you think God's going to honor that prayer? Do you think, is there any scriptural basis to pray that way? The only way to pray is to say, Father, change me so that I can be more like you. So that I don't have to ask you to accept me the way I am. I am going to, I thank you that you did receive me the way I am so that I could ask for forgiveness and repentance. But now that I've asked for repentance and forgiveness, I'm asking you to change me to be like you. And that means, I'm, that means I can't live in that lifestyle that I was in before than asking you to bless it. That means I must change my direction. That's what repentance means in the first place. Turn around and go the other direction. Very important that we recognize that. And then we need to ask God, well, God, now what do, you want, what do you want to do in my life? You don't want me to just to go back and repeat the same old mistakes and live the old same disappointing lifestyle. No, that's not your plan for my life at all. So what is it? It starts with now having a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And that's what I want to talk about today. That we will have an intentional determination in our heart that we will ask God to protect us from ourselves. Protect me from my flesh, man. Because my flesh, man, is going to resist this message. My flesh, man, is going to resist the message of thirst and hungering after God because my flesh, man, is going to pray about me, kind of like how we pray for our country. If we pray for our country to be blessed and to be strong and to be free so that it gives me a better pocketbook, then I'm not really praying for the benefit of God's will for others' people. I'm praying for the benefit of me. And that's a selfish prayer. We need to be, we need to be having an attitude of God's blessing in our life no matter how it comes in our life and it might come through distress it might come through a rainy day it might come through some pain and we need to put away anything that would distract us anything that would take us away from focusing on growing in the lord must be avoided and we must seek spiritual maturity and that doesn't come just because I'm older, one year older. It doesn't become, come just because my beard is getting grayer. It has nothing to do with my age. Spiritual maturity is a spiritual growth which is separate from physical growth. They're not equated. Just because I'm an older person doesn't mean I'm a, more, I'm, I'm a mature and older Christian. I can be very immature spiritually no matter how old I am. And I can be very mature spiritually even in my younger years god honors us by our heart's desire and by us following his heart's desire so i want to talk about healthy growth healthy growth comes through intentional desire to read god's word to study god's word to pray god's word and to ask him to change us to be more like him amen that's what healthy growth looks like spiritually. 
You see, we may grow spiritually in a negative sense. Because, listen, the enemy, Satan, the devil, demons, whatever you want to call them, they're spiritual beings. And we can grow spiritually evil in evil ways, too. So just because I'm growing spiritually doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be healthy growth spiritually unless I'm keeping my mind and, um, and my heart focused on godly things because I can grow spiritually in an evil sense. The reality is you're going to grow one way or the other. You're going to grow either godly or you're going to grow fleshly or you're, you're going to grow spiritually towards the places of evil. You're not going to stay in one place very long. That's not in the nature of God. That's not in the God's plan. God tells us that we are going to grow, and how we grow is depending on what we're feeding our soul. How we grow is depending on how we're feeding our physical life as well. Are we eating healthy? So there's some, there's some parallels here that I want to talk about. Physical growth is one of the laws of nature that is unbreakable. Just so you know that. Physical growth is one of the laws of nature that is unbreakable. Everything that's living grows. Everything that's living grows. It doesn't make any difference what it is. It's the way God created everything. And it doesn't have to be good for growth to happen. In fact... It just seems like the, the negative things, the bad things, seems to grow easier than the, the good things. Weeds grow where grass doesn't grow. Isn't it amazing how it can be a dry summer and your weeds are still growing in your yard and your grass is dead? <laughs> we see that in our churchyard here a lot in the summertime. We basically mow a field, but it looks good when it's mowed, but it's amazing how the weeds grow and the grass doesn't. God's nature is everything grows and grows up. And I can remember in 2002, I think it was, 2002, Chris and I did something we thought we would never do. We never planned on ever having a dog. But in 2002, we had a little moment of insanity. <laughs> I, I, I did, she said. It was me. Okay. We went to get a, um, we went to the mall in Brighton down in Novi with our oldest daughter, Summer, who was a freshman in college at the time. And my son, Tyler, I believe, was a junior in high school, and Aubrey was in middle school, and Jenna, I believe, was in, it was in elementary school. So we were living in Brighton. And um, on a Christmas venture, we went and we happened to do a, a stupid thing, and that is we walked into the pet store, right, as the mall, right at the entrance of the mall, and there happened to be this little puppy in the window, and we said, let's just look at it. Why we decided to look at it, I have no idea. But we did, and when we got it out, it ran right to Chris. It was a little bundle of energy, and it was the cutest little dog. And I, was sti I still regret saying it, but I said, how much work can a puppy be? And Chris uses it all the time against me. <laughs> so fast forward, we bought the dog. And we gave it to our kids for a surprise at Christmas. And it was an awesome Christmas present. And we named the dog Belle. 
And uh, she grew up, and over time, we did learn to love her. I even learned to love Belle. And I got to say that when it was a day, when the, the time, 12, 13 years later, after all of our kids were gone, that were supposed to take care of it, and it was with us, we did learn to love Belle, and, and it was a, one of the hardest days that I can remember when we had to put her down, and it was a sad day because we learned to love our dog. But I say all that because everything that lives grows up. But the other side of that story is that growth doesn't always mean healthy growth. It doesn't always mean a healthy. A sure way to stunt your growth or to stop it altogether is to stop feeding it healthy and good food. Or, in a spiritual sense, to stop teaching yourself truth. And then having good discipline. The old sayings are true. You are what you eat, garbage in, garbage out. Healthy growth is dependent on how it's fed and how it's trained. The other thing that Chris said, I said, which I don't think I said, but she said I said it, and that is that I will take the dog to puppy school, which I never said that. (laughs) So Belle was a challenge because Belle never went to puppy school. But the fact is, that little puppy has the potential to grow up to be a service dog, offering much value to the people that own it, or it can grow up to be a mean dog that can be a menace to everybody that it's around. The same dog, depending on how it's raised, depending on how it's treated and how it's trained, can have a path of growth of good or a path of growth of bad. It's not the dog's fault, necessarily. It's the people that own the dog. How did we train it? How did we feed it? So how, does, how do we apply that to us in here in 2021? Why do I say that? Why do I go through that story? Well, the reason I go through that story is because it's an example of how we need to train and disciple ourselves. Which dog are we going to feed in our spiritual life? Are we going to feed the dog that grows up to be a good dog, a service dog, a dog that offers value to our society? Or are we going to feed the dog in our flesh man that is going to be a mean dog and a selfish dog and all about me dog? We have a choice in that. You see, we have to recognize that God created us in his image And we're a very complex creation. We're very complicated. We have a lot of moving pieces in our life. That's what makes us different than a dog. Because we have some pieces, emotional pieces. We have some pieces called choice that a dog doesn't have. A dog basically lives by its instincts can be trained instincts, but basically they're its instincts. But a dog has no moral character. It has no moral compass. But we, created in the image of God, are born with a moral compass. And we have the choice to how do we train that moral compass. Do we live by it or do we neglect it? Do we feed that or do we ignore that? That will determine how we grow up spiritually. That and that alone determines our spiritual growth for the most part. Because if I train my moral compass to be godly, 
then it trains me to be godly, a, a godly person. So both our physical man and our spiritual man both require nourishment if they're going to grow healthy. And here's the question that I want to ask us. How concerned are we about our spiritual growth? Do you even think about it? You see, life is busy, and we have many things to keep us busy. So maybe for some people, maybe they never think about spiritual growth. Maybe we get so busy in life with good things that we never even consider the fact that we need to have a spiritual life, that we need to have a spiritual foundation. And I think it's sadly safe to say that for many, if not most people in America today, that spiritual growth isn't something that they think about. It doesn't come across their mind very often, if at all. They may believe in Jesus. They may attend church. They may even had, at one point in time, asked Christ into their life. But if that's the extent of it, if, there ha if it hasn't gone any further than that, if it's not a daily reminder that I need to grow up spiritually, then they're not feeding the spiritual dog that's going to be a healthy life. They're feeding the fleshly dog that's going to grow up to be a menace. Because it's, it's not just the fact that you got saved. It's where is your hunger and thirst thereafter? How are you training yourself? How are you discipling yourself? How, what are you feeding yourself so that you are growing up spiritually? It's not just the day that you got saved. Yes, that's an important day. You need to remember that. You need to go back and mark that if you can remark that. I, I honestly don't remember the day I got saved. I grew up in church. I, I can't remember. I got saved so many times, <laughs> and I, re, and, and, and I um, backslid so many times. I don't remember when the last one was that really, that really took for me. <laughs> I mean, I remember the day that I got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 12 years old. I can remember that day like it was yesterday. That was the most powerful day in my life, 12 years old, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me and I'm speaking in tongues and I can't stop speaking in tongues for an hour. That I remember. But after that, I still messed up. After that, I still did things that were wrong. So when did I really become that Christian man again? Maybe this morning. <laughs> I mean, think about it. We need to keep this constantly in our face. This is not a once saved, always saved relationship with Jesus. It's a living relationship, and it's one that I must feed on a regular basis. I must maintain a thirst and a hunger for God on a regular basis if I'm going to continue to grow. You lose your thirst, you lose your hunger, that's a sign of death. It's a sign that you're dying. You lose your appetite, it's a sign that you're dying. If you don't have a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst for God, can I just say that's a big red flag? You need to evaluate your life and say, God, where is it? If I'm not concerned about you, am I even rela in relationship with you? So a new year is always a good time for us to evaluate ourselves. Where have we been and where are we going? And here's the focus I believe we need to develop this coming year, that we need to hunger and thirst for the things of God more this year than ever we've ever done in the past. Because, and why do I say it that way? Why do I make such an emphasis here? 
because I believe that we are, in, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the end times. And if we are not in the end days, we're getting close to them. And can I just say that the enemy is going to be very active in the end days because he's going to recognize his days are shorter as well. And so we can anticipate that he's going to bring a full force attack against Christians against Christian leadership, against Christian fathers, against Christian mothers. Because you're a leader, dad, mom, you're a leader, grandma, grandpa, you're a leader because you have lots of little ones looking up to you. And if they see you slipping and falling and making poor choices, they're going to think, well, if my grandma and grandpa can do it, if dad can do it, if mom can do it, then I guess I can do it. And boy, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a slippery slope of compromise, and that's a slippery slope of also being a stumbling block and the Bible speaks very strongly for stumbling blocks. I believe that we are in the end time and the enemy is wasting no time to destroy everybody that he can destroy. And let me give you an example of when we get to the end of times of different seasons, how active the enemy could be. Go back to Jesus' last days before he was crucified. Go back to the example of Judas. In the book of Luke, we see Satan showing up in Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, a man that had walked with Jesus for three years. And we can't just run to the end of Judas' life and see the fact that the enemy used Judas, but we have to recognize that Judas loved the Lord. There was a time in his life where he loved Jesus and he was trusted by Jesus. He was trusted by Jesus so much that Jesus gave him the, the control of the treasury of the disciples. He was the money man. Now, some would say, well, why didn't Jesus use Matthew? Because Matthew was a tax collector. He understood money. You would thought that Jesus would have used Matthew as a tax collector to be the keeper of the, of the money bags. But Jesus had a different purpose for Judas. So here we see Judas being a godly man that we got to believe he was early on, but something happened in Judas' life that changed to the point that he would deny Christ. The account says in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 22, verse 3, that Satan entered Judas. Now, we don't know what that means exactly, and that's a study for another, another day, what it really means, and how did Satan enter Judas? But I think it's safe to say that this was not Judas's first temp temptation. That Judas, somehow, in, the, in his growing of those three years, that somewhere he began to compromise his commitment to the Lord. And that the devil started working on him years before this. This wasn't his first sin. But he had had a life of compromise, a little by little by little, slipping away from the, from the relationship with Jesus. See, the enemy... That's the way he works. He works subtly and he works slowly, coming at us one little bit at a time, trying to, to just inch us away from our relationship with Jesus. Maybe taking your hunger and thirst away just a little bit at a time. You just stop reading the Bible just a little bit or you stop praying just a little bit or you, you stop thinking about godly things just a little bit or you're giving yourself just a little indulgence here and there and that's the way the enemy works. He doesn't come very often frontal attack with his first sin, the worst sin. Normally the first sin is not so bad of a sin, a little lie, 
a little compromise, a little indulgence, a little look at the porn site, a little, a little drink, a little weed, a little drug, whatever it is. I mean, it just starts you off small because he knows that he's probably not going to get you to take the big jump. I'm sure that the devil had been working on Judas for quite a while before he brought the temptation to deny or to uh, to to trade Christ for thirty pieces of silver. My Bible commentary says this this about the life of Judah. He says, "In this life, bringing it to our life, there is always the possibility that we might become spiritually disillusioned or grow cold toward Christ because our priorities hear that our priorities get mixed up." or because Jesus does not seem to fulfill our expectations. Think about that. How many times have you been let down, let down in air quotes, by Jesus? Or was it your expectations of Jesus that really let you down? The commentator goes on, and he says, such at attitudes may allow Satan to slowly lead us into compromise and perhaps betray the Lord and his cause. That's why we need to protect ourselves from the slow decay of loss of appetite for the things of God. We need to keep our hunger for Christ alive and keep it in the forefront of our life so that we don't lose him in the priorities of life. Scripture is clear that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, and it's our responsibility. Listen, it's my responsibility to keep my life hungry. It's your responsibility to keep your life hungry and keep ourselves in the position of growth. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Peter says this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You have to hang on to the bottle. As a young baby, we feed babies, right? My daughter is raising three-month-old twins now, and it's, I love it. And I love to sit and feed them with the bottle. You know, and there will come a day where they will hold their own bottle. But right now, we have to keep the bottle in their mouth. Right now, we have to provide for them because they're not able to do it on their own. But there's going to come a day when they're going to hold it with their own little cute little hands. But until that day comes, it's my responsibility to do that. And what we need to be as newborn Christians and as older Christians, we need to now, we're going to move from spiritual milk into the meat of God's word, which is kind of what we're doing right now. We're kind of moving into the meat of God's word. See, having a strong and growing appetite for the things of God is a necessity no matter how spirit, what spiritual age we are. We can never lose our appetite. We can say, I've been so full of God. Well, good, but, you know, we can be so full on Thanksgiving Day that by the next morning I'm ready to eat again. I, I can say, I'm never eating again, and how many have been in that so full you, you've said that? <laughs> I'm never eating again. Well, Come morning, you're hungry, right? So you have to feed yourself again. Well, spiritually, the same way. We can have a great spiritual revival in our life and be so full of Jesus and to think, oh, this is going to last me forever, but it doesn't. I have to keep feeding myself that. 
So having a hunger is a sign for us to measure our spiritual life as by how, how hungry and thirsty are we. And, and I'm not speaking about necessarily just an emotional high at the altar. Um, I'm not just saying that we have to uh, have emotional highs to show spiritual growth. Because in a Pentecostal nature, sometimes we hurt ourselves by that. We want to measure our spiritual life by how, how, how spiritual I am on a Sunday morning when I'm at the altar or when I'm in a worship service. When it's easy for me to raise my hands and praise the Lord and even maybe even speak in tongues, but that's not what I'm measuring here. What I'm measuring is what am I like on Wednesday? What am I like on Tuesday night? What am I like in the job? Am I still hungry? A sign that we all must constantly be on a lookout for is our decline of our spiritual appetite when I'm with people that aren't spiritual. It's easy to be spiritually on fire when I'm with other Christians. When I'm having a cup of coffee or breakfast with Rip, it's easier for me to be on fire for Jesus. But when I'm by myself or in a situation where I'm with ungodly men, how easy it is to slip into their attitudes. How easy it is to slip into the lifestyle of those that aren't godly. That should be a warning for us that maybe our, our thirst isn't what it should be. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus gives a parable. Luke chapter 8, verse 14, he gives a parable of the seeds on fertile and different types of soil. And I just want to focus on this one today. But the seed, on verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Think about it for a few minutes. How easy is it to get distracted when it comes to praying and reading the Bible? How easy is it to be distracted? It's pretty easy, isn't it? I think this parable speaks to me as well as it speaks, and hopefully to you, that the things of life, the good things in life can choke out our need for God. The good things, the things that are intended as God's blessings can choke out our thirst and our hunger. And I think it's, it's deeper than just interrupting a 15-minute prayer time. <laughs> I, I think that, that we need to recognize that this isn't, that we're looking at the overall encompassing life of worries and pleasures and temptations that could lead us to different phases in life, even a phase of depression can choke out, clearly choke out our heart and our thirst for God. We can get so caught up in things, whether they're good or bad, that we lose our desire, we lose, out our, we lose our hunger. And I think that we all know what that looks like. I don't think I need to describe it much further. Jesus spoke about the necessity for hunger and thirsting in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed, in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. Another word for righteousness here is just doing the right thing. 
just doing the right thing according to God's word is righteousness. We don't have to make it any more complicated than that. It's just listening to God's word and then doing it. And I think that if we don't have an increasingly intense desire for doing the right things, listen, a person will not pursue deeper relationships with God or try to develop the rest of the character traits of Jesus if we're not practicing righteousness or doing the right things. The more I slip in my little compromises of evil, the further away I get from my desire to be like Christ. And this is the kind of teaching that the enemy despises because he doesn't want people to know that we have a responsibility to keep ourselves hungry and thirsty for more of God. See, the very foundation of a solid Christian life is built upon the hunger and thirst for God. It's built upon this, this thirst for righteousness. The, the psalmist expresses his desire for God like this. Psalms chapter 42, verses 1 and 2. He says, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where, when can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food. I'm longing for it so much, while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? A true thirst for God stands the test of all those doubters and discouragers around you. Because when you get hungry for God and you have a thirst for God, there's going to become those that are around you that are going to try to quench it for you. They're going to try to make you feel like you're weird. And the true thirst for God will stand the test of that. Just as water is necessary to sustain physical life, so God and a desire to be in his presence. Listen, to be in his presence, there's power there. Corporately, when we come together and worship and your, or in your own spiritual time, you need to try hard to ask the Lord to invade your own personal prayer time with a sense of his presence. Find a place that you can be that you can move away from the distractions of the television, of your cell phone, of your car, or wherever you're at, and find a place where you can find the presence of God. I like to come here to church. And by the way, I want you to know this church is your church, and you're always welcome to come here to find the presence of God because there's something about coming into this church, into this altar time right here, the presence of God seems to linger here, doesn't it, Rick? You can just come in at any time, and it's auto, almost automatically, if your heart's in the right place with God, you can walk in and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit here. And it's not because this is special, it's because we've consecrated it as special. Because we keep it consecrated before the Lord. To stop drinking water is death to your physical life. And in the same way, to stop thirsting for God is death to your spiritual life. We must not allow anything to take away our desires to know God and to know him deeper. And to know his more encompassing purposes for our lives. 
even in the difficult times. It may be hard to press in sometimes. It may be hard to stand against the tide of everything else this world throws around us. Let's read a little bit further in that same psalm, Psalm chapter 42. And what does the psalmist say in verse 4 through 6? He says, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of great celebration. And then verse, verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged. Do you hear the psalmist? Do you ever feel like the psalmist? Can I be really honest with you today? Can I say that I, this is an area that I really struggle in? I struggle with depression. I struggle sometimes that I just can't get my heart right. I go home and I'm not who I should be with my wife. I'm not how I should be with my family. And it's, it's just the fact that I struggle with the fact that I want it so bad, but I just can't always find it. There are days that I'm just so depressed and I struggle in my spirit that it's hard to pray. Do you ever feel that way? No, the enemy is relentless. When he feels you down, he's going to jump on you with both feet. And he's going to jump up and down on your head. When your head hangs low, he's not going to lift it up. He's going to jump on it. But I want you to know you're not alone. I want you to know that God is working even when you don't feel it. He's working when you don't see it. He's working when you can't pray. He's still working on your behalf because he loves you so much. That's the beauty of relationship. That's why we have relationship with God. We just don't know about him. We know him and he knows us. Verse 8 of Psalms 42. But each day the Lord pours out his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. That's the promise. That's the promise of a fulfilled, thirsty, and hungry life, is that God will fulfill himself. And there's very, something very powerful in keeping our spiritual hunger and thirst at the highest level possible because there are going to be times when we're just not going to have it in ourself if we haven't built a solid foundation of getting to know Jesus in the good times. It reminds me when I got my first job, my first real job, where I actually had money. And the first thing they wanted to do is they came to me and they said, well, how much of this do you want to put into a savings plan? How much of this do you want to invest in an IRA? That means you can't touch it for years. I didn't want to give it up because I wanted the cash for the immediate pleasures of life. 
You see, but the value of an IRA is that they take pre-tax dollars out of your check and they put it away for you and they keep it out of your greedy little hands and it grows so that when you are get to be 70 years old, 65, 70 years old, all of a sudden you've got an investment there that's going to be there when you need it. And here's what you have to do. You have to give it up when you don't need it. Well, you think you need it. You have to give it up. And so the IRA is an important part of a retirement plan. And we spend a lot of time thinking about physical retirement plans, but how many times do we think about spiritual retirement plans, which means a relationship with Jesus that is guarded by thirsting and hungering after him? How many times do we see people that get to the point in time in their life when they really, really, really need God, but because they haven't established a relationship with, with him when they were younger, that they don't know where to turn when they're older? How sad is that for people? Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. See, Jesus is like, <laughs> I don't want to, this sounds bad. Jesus is like the IRA. <laughs> he is that savings plan that we can invest in that will be there when we need him later because if I seek him first, means I'm going to put away, I'm going to, I'm going to have to discipline myself not to spend my money on myself or my foolish pleasures today. I'm going to seek him first and the kingdom of God and I'm going to do right, I'm going to live righteously, and when I do that, he will still give me the desires of my heart. Not only that, but he will protect them from the enemy so that I don't have to worry about tomorrow because I'm developing a relationship with him now through hunger and thirst that I know that he'll be there for me when the days are hard. I like that. I'm willing to trade for that. Are you? Jackie, would you come? We're going to have communion in a minute. And I think this is a great time for us to make sure that we are clearly setting ourselves up for tomorrow by keeping a hunger and a thirst in our lives for a relationship with Jesus more than you've ever had in the past. Maybe you've had a hunger and a thirst in the past. That's great. I hope and I'm glad you have but can I encourage you to increase it? Can I encourage you to ramp it up because the enemy is going to ramp up his attacks? He's going to ramp it up, so can I encourage us to ramp up ours? One thing that's different about Jesus than the IRA is that Jesus isn't limited financially. He has no limits And I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know if you're at the younger stage of your life or at the later stage of your life. But it doesn't make any difference. God is able to supernaturally meet your need no matter where you're at. Maybe you haven't been living a life that is really putting away 
like you should have. I'm speaking to not just room, but also those listening online. Because it doesn't make any difference. God's supernatural power is such that he can he can rescue you wherever you're at if you're willing to turn to him. Jesus said in John chapter 7 verse 37 and 38, he says, "Let anyone Do you hear that? Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Rivers of living water will flow where there was a dry, barren ground. Rivers of living water will flow in your spirit if you will receive Jesus as your Savior. And then live like it, live like it righteously with a hunger and thirst for him. That's the thirsting that Jesus is referring to on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are those who thirst, for they will be fulfilled. They will be filled. Let's make that our goal this year. Let's make that our goal in 2021 to protect our hunger and our thirst for God. If, if you need to make some changes, can I encourage you to make some changes? If you've got to change your pattern, change your pattern. Whatever it takes, you know who you are. You know what you need to do. I'm not going to prescribe it to you. You know. I encourage you to live it out. Would you pray with me? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name now. And I thank you so much for the Holy Spirit's power and your authority in my life. I thank you so much how you care for me. And Lord, even in those days of depression, in those times where I am just really down on myself, I just don't know where to turn. I just thank you to know, to know that you're always working on my behalf. You're always working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're still working. You never sleep, you never slumber. Your eye is always upon me. And I thank you for that. And for in those times when I'm struggling that way, I just pray, God, that in 2021 that, you would, that we would sense a, a, a revival of your spirit within us, that we would see your presence more now than we've ever seen it in the past. We seek you and we need you and we surrender to you and we submit to you. So while your eyes are closed here this morning, if you're struggling in this area, I just want you to know that there's a plan. And I want to give you an opportunity just between you and the Lord. Nobody else needs to see this. Nobody else needs to know. But if you need to make a change, and 2021 is the, is the, is the year to make it, would you just lift up your hand to the Lord and say, Lord, I need a change. I see the hand. I see the hands. My hand's up. I see changes I need in my life. And I just want you to know, Lord, that I'm serious about it. No more lip service. I need you, Jesus. I thank you for being my Savior. Now I am going to make you the Lord of my life. That means I give you ownership. I'm no longer my own. Amen. Jackie, would you lead us in that song?
beginning to the end it will always be it's always been you Jesus Jesus and nothing else matters nothing in this world will do Jesus your Father, just go with us today as we go to our homes, we go to our place of businesses this week. I pray, Father, that throughout this week that you would bring bits and pieces of this message back to our lives, that it would encourage us to protect our hunger and our thirst for the things of righteousness, the things that we do right beginning today. Help us, Father, to change, to be more like you, that we would invite your character in our lives. And I pray your blessings on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed.